I'm Lindsay. I'm an alcoholic. Hi. So I'm like really an alcoholic. Like the Tuesday morning, not a cloud on the horizon, can wear my lounge slippers and go do some jaywalking, get hit by an ambulance or something, and have no idea why it keeps happening. Why all these problems keep happening around me, to me, and why all these people are such assholes. <laughs> um, so... I don't necessarily have a drinking problem any longer. I have a thinking problem, and I truly believe that. You know, if I just drank, you know, and that was my only issue, you could send me to rehab. I'd dry out, you know, give me some good therapy, tell me how to deal with depression and anxiety, maybe even give me some bipolar meds because they always diagnose as bipolar in the beginning. And I wouldn't have to come here. I wouldn't get to come here. It wouldn't be necessary for me to show up at AA meetings. It wouldn't be necessary for me to work with a sponsor. It wouldn't be necessary for me to sponsor people. It wouldn't be necessary for me to go and like basically beg for service work and be willing to do you know, anything, whatever it takes, to stay sober. Because I truly do have a thinking and living problem. Um, I'm pretty much a generational alcoholic. My, we have pictures of my grandfather passed out in like the 1940s, 1930s with, you know, like, it wasn't illegal then, but basically homemade whiskey next to him, a good old black and white photo. And I, that's on my father's side, and I know that my um, mother's father's side also had some pretty extreme alcoholism and also some really bad mental health issues. She's unfortunately told me too many stories. Um, so I grew up in a very, very, very alcoholic home um, with an extremely Al-Anon mother. And I don't know what caused more damage, the alcoholic father or the Al-Anon mom who, who, were both, who are still untreated. Um, there was... My story just doesn't go without saying that there was a lot of abuse in my home. And any type of abuse that could have happened did happen, um, all the way up through our teen years. Um, not only was there physical abuse, there was a lot of emotional abuse. My mother was a very critical woman, and you basically could not sit right for her. And I'm left-handed, and she's not. <laughs> so that was, I mean, from the get-go, it was... It was um, it was just a lot of um, a lot of criticism growing up. My first memory is um, we lived in a basement because my father decided that he was going to build our house, but he's a drunk, so we didn't really finish it. And we're living in the basement. Um, and I my first memory is running out of the house at you know like two three in the morning. You know, it was maybe a three-year-old little girl um, because my father was in a blackout rage and he wanted to kill us. Uh, I know that we spent a lot of time living in hotel rooms and um, running um, away from my father, living in different states to hide from him. There, my mother, and I know way too much about my childhood because of how traumatic it was. I should have been able to just blank it all out and maybe just go to therapists for years to have them help me extract it. But my mother has always been very kind enough to share all the traumas and dramas. Um, I know that we went to bed in snowsuits because they just, 
they didn't, um, you know, they, he, he would cut the wood. I remember going and cutting the wood with him, but maybe he wouldn't, wouldn't bring it in, and then it'd be covered in snow, and it just, it was just, con- so going to bed in snowsuits, the basement constantly leaked, it was just, it was really crazy, and then on top of that, they were cigarette smokers, and um, we had a wood stove, so I have a lot of um, sinus ear problems, and probably one of my saving graces is um, because of the mold that would have been in the basement and the constant smoke, I could not hear the first few years of my life. I guess I walked around a lot with baby talk, and I had a lot of ear infections. And so um, I watch people. I, I, that's why I probably always sit you know, off to the side. I watch people. I was raised to watch people to know when it was time to go. And um, I, like, I like to just see what people are doing and know what they're doing. I think it does attribute to being a great middle school, high school teacher, because I know what those little darlings are up to at any moment but um so I had really bad ear infections I didn't hear I spoke like a babblish baby talk and um I basically just I got punished because it was supposedly I guess a choice um my dad wouldn't let my mom take me to the hospital um for the ear infections to get it like all cleared up until I guess my um eardrum or something ruptured and then they had to have surgery they used to put me out. Um, I think this is why I have such a... Uh, there's a few different reasons why I have an extreme fear of the dark. Um, they used to put me outside at night when I was crying from the pain so that they wouldn't have... Um, so my dad wouldn't have to listen to me cry. And it was probably the safest thing that my mom could do for me um, because I know she also told me... She's such a sharer. Um, she also told me that you know there were different times that he would actually, like, snatch me up as a baby and threaten to cause really bad harm, um, probably fatal harm, if she didn't take care of whatever it was. I know I saw him once break her arm over the kitchen table because I was crying because she wasn't getting me cottage cheese fast enough. Um, so I learned to not be very demanding because <laughs> that obviously... Um, brought in issues, and I learned not to talk too much about what was going on in the home because I would then go to the doctor with my mom, and the doctor would ask how this would happen, and obviously she would lie. And so I learned at a very young age you don't talk about what's going on, how you're feeling, nothing like that. Um, They... um. So I go, to, I go to kindergarten, and I used to have these really huge tantrums. And looking back at it now, I realize that they were probably little kid anxiety attacks. Um, but they wouldn't be tantrums like, you didn't give me ice cream fast enough. They'd be tantrums like, I don't want to go to school with my clothes smelling like cigarette smoke anymore. I don't want to go to school with my clothes smelling like mildew. I don't, you know, I would be very embarrassed by what was going on in our home. I knew at a very young age that what was happening in that home was not what was happening in my little friends' homes. Um, So we finally got to move upstairs after one of my tantrums. (laughs) So that worked out a little bit. Um, I have two sisters. They're my first best friends in this life. They've been very adversely affected 
by how we were raised, and as adults, they struggle quite a bit. Um, I think one of the reasons an, um, another form of God's grace for me is um, trauma actually affects the left side of the brain more. Because I'm left-handed, I work from the right brain more. My sisters, and, I, and it's just a theory, my sisters are right-handed and they're just living some real shit show lives right now and it's unfortunate because they're really great people. But they were my first best friends and... Um, you know, they made my childhood really spectacular. We had a good time. I'm from northern Michigan, which is like, it's kind of like Buckeye, but in the woods. So I really love it. That's one of the reasons why I keep coming back to Buckeye, because I just love um, the hometowniness. I, I love the patriotism. I love the pride. I love the farms. You know, that, that's what I was raised on. I love the fact that we have parades, you know, on important days where we're supposed to, you know, honor different people in our country. Um, so we played in the woods a lot. My mom used to make us, she used to knit us little orange hats so that she could find us. And... Um, we just had a really good time, and we were really good at entertaining ourselves. We had lots of fun. I climbed trees a lot as a kid. I used to run away all the time, and I would climb my tree. <laughs> that was my runaway place. It was a good time. Um, so, you know, the years go by, and it, it's just not good. It's really not good. My sisters and I, we experienced a lot of um, teasing and bullying at school because we were the West Nine girls. And it was just known that our grandfather was an alcoholic, our father and our uncle were alcoholics, everyone in our family was alcoholics. My grandmother owned a bar my whole life. I had Christmas and Easter dinners in a bar, and I thought that was fabulous. I loved the bar. I loved to look at all the liquor bottles on the back of the bar. I'd sit on her bar stool when I was little and just stare at the bottles and think about how pretty they were. I drew, I, um, she'd let me wash the glasses, run around. All the old drunks would give us candy. It was it was. Fine. My mom hated it. She'd always bitch and complain about it. She'd, she'd bitch and complain a lot. Um, so I was around alcohol a lot. I know my grandmother brought a keg to my birthday, my one-year birthday party. I know. <laughs> it was epic, I bet. So, um, you know, kegs have been a good part of my life. Um, I'm thirsty. I didn't really have my first drink until I was probably 12 years old. Um, the first time I had like a drink drink was on accident. My little friend, Nikki Piper, she was such a fun friend. She lived right down the road from me. And down the road, I mean like way down the road because it's northern Michigan. But um, she gave me Kool-Aid once and she was always making the shittiest food. So when she gave me this Kool-Aid and it tastes like absolute shit, I was just like, okay, whatever, you know. And I always drank like we always gulped our beverages, my sisters and I. Like we just gulp, gulp, gulp. So I drank up this blue Kool-Aid, what was blue Maui, and um, you know, obviously ran around and passed out. Didn't think anything of it. And she told me the next day, like, oh yeah, I got you drunk. And I was like, whatever. I didn't really, you know, I wasn't too concerned. Um, but the first time that I drank intentionally. My other little friend, she brought over whiskey to my house. So she would bring whiskey in these little Tupperware containers. And, and we would drink. And um, my friends would sip the whiskey. 
and I drank the whiskey. And the first time that I drank that whiskey was the first time that I felt comfortable in my own skin. It was the first time that I finally felt the way all of my little friends looked. Um, and after that, I, I'm not going to say that in middle school I was drinking regularly. I wasn't. I was drinking as often as Kelly Clark could bring over whiskey from her parents' house or as often as we could be at Kelly Clark's basement and steal whiskey from her parents' house. But what was really unfortunate is they were not heavy drinkers. So when we would um, confiscate their whiskey and then, you know, obviously put water in the bottle so it was the same weight, eventually, you know, it started to get weaker and weaker. Um, but obviously the days go by and we hit high school and there's always tons of boys who want to take you anywhere you want to go and buy you as much alcohol as you want, which is absolutely exceptionally wonderful. I think I always have thought it was wonderful. Um, and so in high school, I, I drank alcoholically when I could start drinking without having to steal it from parents, I always drank alcoholically. I never had a choice in how much I drank, and I could never control how much I drank. It wasn't a choice. Would I drink tonight? Would I not drink tonight? I was just drinking. That was that. Would I control? Why would I control my drinking? I loved to drink to oblivion. Um, my hope uh, from a very young age was that I would drink and not wake up. And that was right from the get-go. And it, I actually had no intention of really surviving past the age of 19, 21. Um, being in northern Michigan, um, Northwoods kids, we don't have much more to do than drink and a few other things. And that's what we did. And... The thing was, though, is that my friends would drink, and I think they must have slowed down or something. I don't know much about normal, normal drinking. But they must have slowed down or something, because they never had the stories that I had. So, like, we'd all party, you know, wherever we were at. And then the next morning, they would wake up and say, you know, last night, and, you know, it's the middle of February, you tried going swimming out at, you know, whatever lake we were on. I'd be like, okay, and what's the problem? That's what I wanted to do. Or they'd say, um, you know, you basically played, you know, Russian roulette with all the passing cars all night long, and they had to chase after me. And I just, I think I've always constantly had this base, like, um, like a suicidal ideation, you know, like a hope, a, pa a very passive-aggressive hope that it just, you know, maybe the next night. I, I know one night I decided it was a good idea to just take magazines and just chuck them at one of my boyfriend's heads. And I don't know, the next morning he woke me up singing a song to me, so it must have been okay. Um, so I, that's just the way I drink as a teenager. Constantly hoping to drink enough that I don't have to deal with anything the next day. I spent a lot of time trying to keep my sisters safe. Um, I there were times that I would just have to tell my parents, "No, we're not staying here," and I'd have to get my sisters in a car and we would go. 
Um, there was a time where I had to go stay with my grandmother for a bit because it was not safe for me to be in the house. Um, my father had done something um, really, really bad. And I do believe that as an alcoholic, I have an internal spiritual malady. And I can go back to certain points in my life and identify where there was like almost like a schism between myself and my concept of a higher power. But I've always known that there is a God because there were too many things that my sisters and I survived as three little girls to, um, for there not to be a God. Because the adults in our life were not looking out for us. Um, so God had to have been, that had to have been who was t- um, basically keeping us safe. Um, so I did graduate from high school. I didn't go to high school much. I didn't really want to go to high school. Um, my father did make it very clear in no words whatsoever that I would graduate, though. <laughs> and I did. Um, and I don't think I earned any credits my first, my freshman, my second semester, freshman year, my first semester I did. I was hang. I left my parents' house when I was 17, you know, just a few months before I turned 18, because I just, I really just wasn't going to have my mother dragging me around by my hair anymore. And I did a whole lot of couch surfing, and I lived like the 90s-style hippie life, and it was pretty groovy, and I had a lot of fun. Um, that's where I met this, uh, well, I knew this boy, and he was pretty cool. And um, he could drink as much as me. And when I got drunk and high, he didn't bitch at me about my behaviors because he was drinking and getting high too. And the only argument we had was who was going to drink the last beer out of the 18-pack or the 32-pack. So I liked him. And we hung out together a lot. Um, Me and that boy, we became pregnant our sophomore year of college. 0.01% chance. We have our surprise baby. He is now 19 years old. Our son will be 20 in May. He's an absolutely amazing individual. So at 19 years old, I got married because somebody wanted to. I wasn't too wild about it, but he really wanted to get married. So we got married. And that slowed me down quite a bit. Being married, being pregnant, having a baby, nursing the baby, that was, they were like my higher power. You know, he would actually have to force me to leave the house because I was turning into such a weirdo, you know, just sitting at home with my baby, chilling, having a good time. I never wanted to go anywhere, do anything. Um, But once, um, with both of our sons, once our, um, you know, kids would get old enough to kind of fend for themselves and go grab a Pop-Tart, I'd basically be back off to the races again. Um, so I did finish college. I went to North Central Michigan College, um, pregnant and having a baby, and finished my associates with a focus in history, and then I transferred to Western Michigan um, University and finished my bachelor's degree with a history major, social science um, minor in secondary education. 
So I finished my degree, you know, having uh, had a baby, being married, being really, really, really broke, which I was used to being broke because we were always broke as kids. And um, the recession hit. I was told that if I went to college and earned this degree, you know, when I got done with college, I would be able to get a teaching job. And the recession hit, and the baby boomers lost their, basically lost their retirements, and they couldn't retire. They, they didn't have really anything to retire on. So um, even if a teaching job, if someone retired from a teaching job in Michigan, they just closed the position. There were no teaching jobs. So we, I was born in northern Michigan. I went to college in southwest Michigan. Um, when our son was about five years old, ready to start kindergarten, I got my first teaching job on the Navajo Reservation, and we came out to Arizona. We lived there for a year, and we became pregnant again, which was good, because again, my drinking, my drinking had escalated, our, both of our drinking. You know, it, it's getting to the point where, you know, we're not being nearly as responsible as we ought to be as parents. So we come out, we live on the Navajo Reservation. I had no clue how huge Indian reservations were out this way, because in Michigan, I mean, it, it just all kind of goes together. There's not a big difference between, you know, Caucasian folks, Native American folks. It's just, Michigan's just not really like that. So when I came out here, we were quite shocked at how huge the Navajo Res was. And we were smack dab in the middle of the Navajo Res in Pinyon. And it was really groovy living there because the, um, the police officer, the res cop, he was an Apache man, very tall, good-looking Apache man. Um, he, anything he confiscated, because it was a dry county, anything he confiscated, he brought to the teacher parties, or he gave to my husband, so it was, it was great. <laughs> and at the time, my husband didn't have a driver's license, but... The police officer did have him drive him to the grocery store and such. So we did a lot of really good hiking up there, and we had a Jeep Wrangler at the time, did a lot of really good, um, you know, like wheeling and stuff. It, it was fun. But we got pregnant, and we didn't want to have the baby on the um, Navajo res. I have um, friends who are um, Native, and they don't go to the doctors up there. So um, we had to get off the res, and our son was in kindergarten up there, and he did really well, but um, they just weren't as accepting of him, and so we didn't want that to be his elementary experience. So I landed a job teaching high school in Buckeye, Buckeye Union High School, and it was, it was really nice. Um, so I taught in Buckeye for a year, then we thought maybe we'd move back to Michigan, and we didn't. And I transferred to Buckeye Elementary. We had the little guy. He was, he's pretty cute. There's a six-year difference between our sons, and that's another 0.01% chance baby right there. So we have these two little miracles, and we absolutely adore him. He's 13. He knows every single button to push in any adult that he comes, after, comes across. He's like a shark that smells fresh blood, and I think he is trying to get me to like turn into a blabbering idiot in the, middle, in the corner of a room somewhere. Because he's good. He's really good. I've met my match. He's kind of my mini, though. I love him. Um, so we're living down in the valley now. And 
I trans, I, I'm a pretty good teacher. I'm a really good teacher, actually. Damn good teacher. And I'm teaching in Buckeye Elementary. I do a referral call for one of my teacher friends with the assistant principal of another school district. And um, the next day, they call me and ask me to apply to their school district. They want me because I did such a nice job doing this referral call for my friend. Then I go and teach for them for a year, and they tell me when I show up, like, well, you're a history major, but you're going to teach math. And I'm like, whatever, I'll teach eighth grade, 7th and 8th grade math, I don't care. I had some of the highest test scores in the district, not being a math major. And the assistant principal introduced me um, as one of the best teachers in the school district. And Bill's story where he says, I have arrived, I had arrived. You couldn't tell me jack shit about anything. You can ask him. It was like just something turned. And that's where um, the alcoholic thinking really took full flight. You know, I'd always had a little, you know, a whole lot of self-pity, I was raised, you know, to think, you know, to feel sorry for myself a lot. Um, sometimes justifiably, but a lot of times because that's how I saw the adults in my life behave. And then I'm alcoholic. I mean, how else do you justify doing whatever you want whenever you want to do it if you don't have some type of poor me going on? So, yeah, you, you couldn't tell me nothing. You couldn't tell me anything. I would pretty much drink all night, not come home, and then get up. I would, I would do, like, I might go home, and I would say a little prayer, like, God, please let me get enough sleep so that I can wake up in the morning and I can be a good teacher. And it would work. I would get just enough sleep, two hours, and then I'd be able to go to school, and I would teach. I had the kids trained. They knew how to make my coffee. They knew how I liked it, and they brought it to me. And they knew that in the mornings that we were going to go ahead and be quiet, and they were fine with it. Um, I, I really am a good teacher. I, I relate very well to students. I build rapport with them very quickly. They trust me, um, and that's one of the reasons why I was able to maintain um, the alcoholism, and still be a very, very functioning teacher. In this time, I was also earning a black belt in Tong Soo Do, and I finished it. I was earning a master's degree to become an addictions therapist. I told my principal, he asked, what are you earning your master's in? And I, we drank together, and uh, we were drunk. And I said, addiction therapy. And he said, you're a fucking drunk. And I said, I know, it's great. <laughs> so... Um, Jason was working at Grand Canyon University, so I got to earn that master's degree for half-seas. So I thought that was pretty cool. I only earned the master's degree, really, to be a smart-ass. I can't cook worth a shit, but I can earn master's degrees, so that's how the cookie crumbles. Um, I earned a master's degree, successful teacher. My kids were old. They were pretty happy. I was that type of mom who... I had so much ego and pride that I wasn't going to let anyone else see that maybe I was a negligent mother. So I took care of everything. Everything was taken care of. My house used to be so clean, always so clean. I'd tell people you could eat off the floor and you could eat off the floor. 
because on the outside, everything looked great. Um, I didn't hang out with people who didn't drink like us. We weren't friends with um, people who didn't drink like us. We didn't take our kids to people's houses who did things like, I don't know, anything but what we did. We only hung out with families who drank like us. Our kids only got to hang out with kids whose parents drank like us. And it was nothing for us to go out on a Friday night, take the kids for pizza, make them play in the parking lot somewhere. Um, I literally turned around once, and the people who were with us were so horrified. We're out for pizza in Buckeye, and the pizza place used to be down by Sonic. And someone had left like three quarters of a pitcher of beer on their fucking table. And I just turned around and said, oh, <laughs> popped it right down and started drinking from it. And the lady who was with us was horrified. She was like, and I just was like, I wonder what her problem is. <laughs> now I'm getting, and now I have this huge fear of bodily fluids. <laughs> like huge. You know, I've had students with MRSA and Hep C and like some weird thing that only usually typically old people get and I mean pig guy I mean I constantly Lysol and Clorox my classroom to the ends of the earth but yeah I didn't care I had doctors suggesting to me that um, some of the medical issues that I was having um, could were most likely contributed to my alcohol consumption and I explained to them that they, they didn't know what they were talking about and that they were probably just showing out because they had a little intern with them and that I was fine, thank you very much. Didn't go to the dentist because if I went to the dentist, the dentist explained to me that my alcohol drinking was, having pro- was causing problems with my teeth. And again, fuck you. Um, my drinking is not a problem. But it wasn't like a fight. You know, There was no fight in me. It was just a... I didn't like what you just said, so I'm not going to talk to you again. It was almost like indignified. Like, how could you talk to me like that? I'm this great teacher, and I volunteer at homeless shelters, and I get packages ready for vet, you know, soldiers overseas. I'm just too good for this treatment. So um, my husband didn't like playing single father any longer. So he um, took a job in Michigan, and he moved back to Michigan with the boys without me. And I found out later that he was secretly hoping I didn't make it back. I don't know why. I was such a gem to live with. Um, so I finished out my uh, teaching contract. Because if you don't finish out your teaching contract, a school district can come after you for your certification. And I wouldn't have been able to move from Arizona to Michigan with my teaching degree. So I finished out my teaching contract. Um, I lived with, uh, with one of our friends. He was supposed to be able to babysit me because he's like this six foot seven black guy who carries a gun. So he was supposed to somehow control me. But that didn't work out. So um, I hung out and things were really, 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 really bad when I was... Um, you know, hanging out here without Jason and the boys, and it got a little reckless. So on the last day of school, I had everything packed up. I got my end-of-the-year school check, and I moved. I drove back to Michigan. 
I just missed the F5 tornado that hit um, Joplin, Missouri that year in 2011. I missed it by like three or four hours. I stayed in Joplin the night before and rolled out all hungover and just didn't notice. Not, nothing wrong here, Ma. So I just didn't notice anything was wrong. Um, you know, and I got back to Michigan, and that's where, you know, and when we read Bill's story, you know, just the decline. The over, you know, the I have arrived, and then, it just, it, it just dropped, and it, it, it dropped, it dropped out, you know, the rug was pulled out, and I think I just drank all the time. I, I don't know, um, I didn't have a job. And I was depressed about the idea of the school year coming and not being in a classroom because that was another form of a higher... My children were a form of higher power for me. And my, my, my school, my teaching was a form of, um, you know, a higher power for me. So I just drank. I had to... I was... Um, I was responsible for finding us a house. And we lived... Um, we decided we'd live in Alpena, Michigan, where Jay was going to be working... Uh, that's where dreams go to die. Um, and I took my little niece over there and I drank the whole time and found the most depressing, small, crappy house you could find. But there was a bar on that side of the street and there was a bar down on that side of the street. And so we were all set. And um, I substitute taught there for a bit. And then... I earned my first job as an addictions therapist. And my first week as an addictions therapist, I got an OUIL, that's a DUI in Michigan, because I'd gone to the hospital and threatened this man's life in front of medical people. And I wasn't even driving the car when they pulled me over. Thank you very much. I was out of the car. My lawyer asked me why I didn't just go into my house, and I just knew. I didn't want the cops coming up to my house and um, knowing that we had underage children in the house who hadn't been parented for the night. So I just, you know, I just said, okay, fine, fuck it. Um, So I got to go to jail and said my foxhole prayers, promised to never drink again. He finally came and picked me up. I don't think he was going to. That's okay, too. Um, And I had to go to my new job as an addictions therapist and explain to the CEO and the clinical supervisor at this residential rehab where we treated mostly prison and um, jail type, you know, folks coming out of prison and jail that I had a DUI. And at first, the CEO was like, because he was um, he was like 20-some years clean from heroin. He's like, well, you know, sometimes people just, he understands that there's alcoholics and there's hard drinkers. He says, well, you know, sometimes people just get DUIs and it just happens. It doesn't mean you're an alcoholic. And something came over me, and I said, no, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. So this was, what, November 11th or something, 2011, November 8th, I don't know. It's it's almost seven years ago, I know that, because it won't show up on most background checks. And I might be able to get one of those special little driver's licenses to be able to drive school vehicles, which will be good. Um, But I said, no, I'm, I'm a drunk, I'm an alcoholic. 
And so they told me that if I wanted to keep my job as an addictions therapist, I had to start going to AA meetings. I said, okay, I'll go to AA meetings, no problem. I'm all about AA meetings. So I would go to these AA meetings, and I'd take those damn tables hostage and hijack them every single time, talking about how great I was. And now every time some newcomer comes in and starts hijacking the table, I get so cringy, but I know it's just one finger pointing at them and three pointing back at me because I've done it, and I don't like what I am. Um... So I, I did, I, I got to do, go to AA for 18 months. I stayed dry for 18 months. I went to intensive outpatient for a bit. The guy who ran the group told me he was, um, he didn't work for our facility. He worked for a different entity, and he told me straight up that if I was his um, employee, he would have fired me, and he did not like that the other facility in our community had kept me on. And then he became my boss when my CEO made some poor choices. And as soon as that guy who was my therapist at one point, now my boss, um, he, um, he let me go as a therapist. I got to practice, you know, therapy. It was fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, but the therapy part. I didn't enjoy the dry part. I didn't enjoy, <laughs> I did not enjoy not drinking without a solution. It hurt a lot. I would literally stand in our living room in the middle of the night and cry because I was so lost and in so much pain without alcohol. I, and, I mean, 18 months. So finally, 18 months later, I don't have this damn therapy job, and my mother pissed me off for the bazillionth time in my life, and I had a reason to drink. I chaired uh, one, a really nice meeting in Alpena, Michigan, um, for a full month, I had that commitment, and I knew that whole entire month that I was going to go back out as soon as I stopped chairing that meeting. I was going to finish up that commitment, and I was going to drink, and then my mother acted the way she acts, and um, I went ahead and drank. Thank you very much. So the way that they say that when you um, go back out, you'll start right where you were at, or if not um, further down the road, and I did. You know, there's this guy back home, um, he says that my disease is in the parking lot doing push-ups. When I'm in my meetings getting spiritually right, my disease is like, come on, Harrelson, let's do this. So I believe that, too. I've experienced it. Um, and I went back to the drinking, and it got worse. And it's, um, again, tasked with finding a house because we moved from Alpena, Michigan to Kalamazoo because you know it's going to be better we moved from Michigan to Arizona from Arizona to one part of Michigan to another part, it's going to get better right? we're just going to move, it's going to get better it's always going to get better um, tasked with finding another house it was more important to drink so I found us a house in the, in the ghetto and when I say ghetto, ghettos in Michigan are not like the, air, the ghetto areas or the poor, impoverished areas of Arizona. It, it's just not. The, it's like apples to, I don't know, really rotten zucchini. Um, it's just not the same. It, it's very, very bad. The first month that we lived in this house, um, there were four shootings, one fatal, two fatal, and it was just always like that. And I would just drink 
I would sit on the front porch and mean mug the neighbors <laughs> and drink. Um, so that, that's the childhood that our boys had. They went from living in one shitty community to living in another shitty community. But we'd had them out here and really not in Sundance, which is beautiful. So they were really shocked. They were shocked by the fact that they were only surrounded by white people. And then they were shocked by the fact that, you know, they go off their front porch in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And my little boy says, Mom, what type of truck is that? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, that big truck. And I look down and... <laughs> The Kalamazoo Police Department's, um, the SWAT team's tank. They're raiding my son's little friend's house. You know, so that's, that's, the, that's the housing I found for my son because that would probably be best. Um, that time, it, it just really wasn't the outside stuff. There, there was nothing on the outside um, for me to quit drinking. Everything was fine. We were making enough money. We were pissing it away, but we were making enough money. Um, we didn't really like each other, but I mean, that's, you know, neither here nor there. Um, I was to the point where I was trying to come up with really good, like, masterly plans on how to commit suicide without causing my boys any harm and still like making it so that they could get the life insurance plan. That was my thought. Like, how do you do that? How do you pull that off? And I couldn't come up with any good ideas. And I just keep drinking. And my last night out wasn't that bad. On September 6, 2014, um, it just really wasn't that bad. Nothing that bad happened to me. I've had really horrible things happen to me in blackout drunks, like, bad, bad stuff. I, you know, went out with some neighbors. They dropped me off early because they didn't like the way I acted. They went to another party. And I was in a blackout. Um, I woke up the next morning. He wasn't even mad at me. You know, he had to clean up my vomit from the back porch because our um, uncle was coming to pick up our son for some volunteer work in the community but um you know he wasn't even mad at me I was black and blue head to toe I don't know how I did that but um and um probably had a bit of a concussion there was absolutely no reason for me to decide at that moment that I was going to quit drinking my son came in the living room looked at me like eh, you know she can't wake up today whatever you know go find dad dad will play with me um, the only reason why I came back to AA was because of God, because I was, I just really believed that I was so close. I mean, I'm, I don't worry about going back out because of a physical death. When I went and, you know, saw a doctor because I was pretty sure I had a concussion, um, she did a bunch of blood work on me. I'm fine. I'm really healthy. My blood work is great. I'm not going to die from drinking anytime soon. Um, as a therapist, I've only seen people die from drinking when they quit drinking and their body shuts down, their organs shut down from not getting the liquor anymore. I'm not scared, you know, I mean, not completely not scared, but I'm not worried about the, you know, when you ask people why you want to quit drinking, well, I'll die. No, you probably won't, sister. You'll probably keep getting to trudge along that misery. And that's what I'm scared of, is the spiritual death. When I came into the program, I was so pitifully and incomprehensibly demoralized 
that I was willing to do anything. And that's really weird because I don't listen worth a shit. Um, but whatever my sponsor and my sponsee sisters told me to do and the, um, the men in my sponsorship group told me to do, I did it. I worked the steps in rapid succession with my sponsor and sponsee sisters. And I gave them spiritual license to tell me when I was, when I was doing things wrong. And they did not co-sign my bullshit. Um, my home group back home is called the Knuckleheads. They are a very um, severe, big book-thumping group, and I love them to death. And um, it just, it was, it was wonderful. You know, that first year of sobriety, I couldn't really tell you a whole lot of what happened other than I, I developed this relationship with a God who loves me and unconditionally loves me. I was just at my grandmother's funeral about a month ago, and the pastor said, um, you know, we have a God, and our God loves us even though she knows us. Like, my God loves me unconditionally even though she knows exactly who I am and exactly everything I've done. And that has been absolutely life-changing for me. Um, I did all the steps. I, I didn't, I hear people say how they like somehow half-ass do this shit and it works for them. I don't believe that they're real alcoholics. I believe they're hard drinkers. I can't. I cannot do the first part of step one and stay sober or the second part of step one and stay sober or just live in 10, 11, and 12 and stay sober. I can't do that. I have to actively do steps one through 12. I had to, I got to make my amends. I was grateful to make my amends because now I can hang out with my parents. I'm not saying it's really perfect. I'm kind of like a turnip. I can forgive. And then it's like, you know, you peel away one of those leaves. You know how turnips, you kind of peel them away and stuff. And then something else will come up. You know, like everything comes exactly when it's supposed to because that's when I'll have enough emotional and spiritual strength to deal with that issue. So, you know, I constantly get to... Um, my sponsor now says it's um, paying growth grace, paying growth grace. But, you know, by making amends to a whole lot of people, even people I said I wouldn't make amends to, it's been wonderful. Um, and now I, I, um, I sponsor people. I'm sponsorable. I have a home group. Dick and Steve were the thirst punchers. And they're the most amazing people because they love God or their concept of God and they love everyone. And when I moved out here, when we moved back in about two years ago, I knew I needed to find a home group and a sponsor. And I was so excited to you know, find my home group because they, they speak from the big book and they want to help the next sick and suffering alcoholic. And so I think that's about as much as I can ramble for you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay.